Welcome back to Trojan Talk, the Trojan Talk podcast. I am Ryan Young, joined as usual by Adamaya after a very busy and productive week here. It's uh, we say it often. There's never an off season, uh, especially for us, and that has been especially true this last week. Adam, how are you? I'm good. Doing really well. How about you? Good, good. This is uh, this is our first podcast together in a while, but I don't think that my absence was missed as no. you had. Not Clancy Pendergast and Michael Pittman on, uh, and if if anyone hasn't listened to those, especially the Michael Pittman podcast, take the time. I mean, really, a really insightful glimpse into one of the USC's top players and kind of what what drives him, what makes him tick, why he came back, why he's so uh, supportive of his head coach and the direction of this program. Really great stuff. Yeah, there. I've never had more fun doing a podcast. I've been fortunate to do a few interview podcasts with players and coaches and I've enjoyed them and the Pittman one I think will will be on that Rushmore for me for uh, you know for my for interviews in my career and we could probably do a podcast on that podcast and maybe we would have (laughs) except you might have heard something happened last week there was a little news there was a little news we have plenty to discuss today, uh, most of it about Brew McCoy, the five-star former USC signee, then Texas Longhorn, now uh, expected to once again soon officially be back in the program with USC. Uh, Adam was really the tone setter in the coverage for that all week, uh, keeping everyone on our site updated as to how that was unfolding as we kind of got word uh, was last Sunday night. Yeah. And it just uh, unraveled from there. Uh, as of right now, as you've reported, he is in the transfer portal. Uh, he has told Texas he's leaving. He has not officially made a statement about rejoining USC, but that was obviously the, the impetus for all of this. And and as you've reported, that was a decision he reached a while back. Uh, let's just start with reactions. Uh, what was your reaction when you first heard the rumblings of this and then as you went through it and, and realized it was it was actually happening? I couldn't believe it. I don't think I did initially. We hear a lot of things, and some of it is crazy and not close to being true. And this one, I didn't think was crazy. Like, I didn't think someone just made it up or would just kind of throw it out there. I just was so stunned. And I wasn't thinking that this would happen or or could happen. But when I heard about it, I knew I had to check on it, and so I did that, and this was last Sunday, and I immediately asked multiple sources, and this is a story, in fact, where I had a lot of sources on it, so then I knew that it was real, because I had, you know, I think more than six, five or six people telling me that there was something going on, and one of them, one of my sources, in fact, they knew about it, and but I didn't know about it yet, and they could not, they could not tell me what I needed to know because it just it was a situation where I needed to tell them what I knew, but I didn't know anything yet. And there's been a lot of, I guess, misconceptions and and rumors involving Chris Steele for a long time now, and so initially when there was conversation about a player coming to USC last week, 
I think the first person that people linked was Chris Gill. But I knew that Chris Gill wasn't coming. That's something that I've been adamant about, that he's not planning to come to USC, hasn't for a very long time, and I don't really understand why there are these fanboys that keep kind of trying to put it out there and and speak into existence when you know, you're not going to make fetch happen in this case, but they're not going to give up. So initially, Chris Steele was the name that came up. And and so I was telling a source, I'm like, gosh, I got asked about Chris Steele again. And then they told me, you'll be shocked. And I'm like, huh? Chris Steele's not coming back. I already know that. So what are you talking about? But again, it was I had to tell them what I I had to give them the name. They couldn't give me the name. And and that's just the way it works sometimes with certain sources. So that was actually a couple days earlier. And then I come back on Sunday and I'm like, Brew <laughs> And sure enough, yes. Something was brewing. <laughs> you know, I as this was unfolding, I thought back to the All-American Bowl in San Antonio when he made his his uh, commitment reveal. And talking to him that week, I, I truly got the sense that he was he was sincerely conflicted over the decision at that time. And the 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 quote that he gave me that just kind of stuck with me and and kind of resurfaced to my mind this week was he said. I think everyone assumes that at some point you just you just know and it's clear, and that's not necessarily how it works. And so I, I I think he's throughout this process been very sincerely trying to figure out what he really wanted, and yeah, yeah. and he he chose USC, Kingsbury left, he reacted, he left. Uh, you know we, we haven't heard all of his his reasons for why. He, he won out of Texas now, but he was there for a semester. His friends are still out this way. Obviously, I'm sure he was in touch with, with JT Daniels and Amon Ross St. Brown and wasn't feeling totally at, at place at home there. And I, I, I just think he's been conflicted this whole time. And I think it's, it's sincere, and it, it's the biggest decision these guys make in their life to this point. And I can definitely sympathize and understand uh, how tough that can be and how you can waver and waffle a little bit. Yeah, it hasn't been easy, and that's what was explained to me, that this whole process for him, you know, he's trying to sign early because then you're, you're getting in school, you're getting on the football team, uh, you're on a fast track, and I'm sure if he could do it over again, he wishes that he could have maybe signed in February, given himself another month there, and maybe had more time with Texas because ultimately what he got was he a weekend uh, back in September. And he, he was at the USC-Texas game, which I'm sure swayed him the other way. I mean, he went into that game as a courtesy visit, you know, as, as a visitor of Texas. But knowing that he wanted to play at USC and be a Trojan and fully intended to do so, and then he goes to Austin – and he did fall in love with it, but it was a weekend. And Texas is very different than L.A. Uh, the weather is harsher 
it's a harsher version of LA and it's a different kind of people and, and these are all differences I'm not saying I mean with the weather I, I'll say LA is better with the people I'm, I'm not really making a comparison in terms of uh, value just more that it's a different way of life and it was new to him and it's not something that he would really grasp uh, in a weekend in Austin in September and so from what I understand he just went over there and, and had a hard time being there, had a hard time living there. I'm sure that there were a lot of great people that came into his life that he wasn't necessarily uncomfortable with, but it, you don't just play football there. You, you, you spend your time there for, you know, you're going to spend three, four, five years there at least. And four months later, he's ready to come back to L.A., ready to come back home. I think a lot of us can, I can sympathize with that and understand that. Unfortunately, because he made decisions that are that there aren't a lot, of, there's not a lot of give with it. He's going to catch a lot of flack. He has caught a lot of flack, and he's he's going to be a target. And if he's not a really good football player, then it's something that a lot of people aren't going to let go of. And, and that's unfortunate. Yeah, I, I, I think that obviously the, the flag from the Texas side will exist and continue. But I have to imagine that's a situation of all's forgiven, all's well that ends well in terms of the USC faithful and the way he'll be received here. It's, I mean, and we can get into to why this is such a big deal, but he was the headliner of their class. And he was then also one of the faces of their tumultuous offseason. And now his return, it's not that it necessarily reflects stability with the program, but it's like the first good break in a long time and, and a much-needed positive and, and something that, that, that could possibly spur some momentum on the recruiting trail or just momentum in general. So I don't think that anyone on this side is going to hold it against him, what he went through, no matter how his career plays out from here. Yeah. Well, people probably wonder why McCoy didn't just stay at USC for the duration of spring. At the time that he left, of course, Cliff Kingsbury had just left before him. And I think... I mean, I wrote, I wrote about this at the time in January, but Kingsbury was an X-factor for him. It's someone that when there was doubt and there was concern about whether he should go to USC, that kind of put him over the top. And yeah, Kingsbury met with McCoy and really made an impression of, upon him. But then when McCoy enrolls in school and actually begins classes, Kingsbury left for the Cardinals the day after he began school. So right, and if, they had a brief time together, but I'm talking brief. I'm talking like less than a week. If you recall, um, when I was in Texas, we had got the, the buzz was just kind of starting that Kingsbury might be linked to the Jets and Cardinals head coaching jobs, and I had the chance to ask McCoy at the All American Bowl, and this is on January 5th. Um, what he expected, and and he he was so adamant and resolute. It, it was it was almost like he kind of kind of smirked at me and goes, "He he's not leaving. I'm I'm 
pretty certain he's he's staying because he had just talked to him. I, I don't know if it was a day before, a couple days before, and had gotten some degree of assurance to the point where he was unfazed by the by the early onset of that news and buzz and rumors that that Cliff might leave. And when it happened, I think that was just so jarring to him because I I, I think he felt like he was and, and not pointing the finger at anyone in particular, but just in general, he was he was misled. You know, and, what, you know what? I think he actually just didn't know what he was committing to, right? I think you're coming to a fair conclusion, but consider that he also really had a, a good relationship with Clay Helkin throughout the process. I remember being told last summer that Brew was a lot to go to USC, that he loves Clay Helkin, and as long as Clay Helkin is the coach, Brew McCoy will become a Trojan. This was, you know, now almost a year ago. Yeah. And then everything happened in the fall of 2018. And it looked like, I mean, Clay probably got as close as you could get to being relieved without it happening. And so I think that shook McCoy. And, and like I said, then they hired Kingsbury. And that seems to bring some stability and there's a little bit more shine on the situation. But then Kingsbury leaves a month later. <laughs> so so now he's like, okay, the offensive coordinator that I believe in is gone. And and does he believe in USC? I mean, he doesn't know. He, he might not fully be able to understand why Kingsbury's leaving, right? And and who knows what Kingsbury or what, what McCoy saw in that time at USC while he was on campus within the program. I mean, I, I know it was unstable because you had your offensive coordinator leave. You had your strength and conditioning coach leave. Uh, they don't have a, a lead on another offensive coordinator. At the time that McCoy left, Graham Harrell was not in the works yet. And then he's probably thinking about Clay Helkin and how, well, Clay Helkin might not be here beyond this season. So he doesn't know what USC is at that time. And he just remembers this impression of Texas where, okay, they have a much more stable situation with their head coach. Uh, they're coming off a better season. They're trending in the right direction. I really like it there. I mean, I could just see him kind of doing this pros and cons list and, and being pulled and being enamored in the other direction once Kingsbury left. And so I, I feel like all these things were just kind of like weighing back and forth and it just ripped apart for him at USC. Yeah, I, mean, I go back to the point, though, of just of how conflicted he was. And when he announced USC on January 5th, I saw just this palpable, genuine relief on his face that it was over. But factoring in how, how tough that decision was and how close he was going either way when you change one major dynamic like Kingsbury it's it's easy to understand why his entire mindset and the, and the pendulum would swing for him so drastically at that point yeah so I mean sometimes these deadlines are, are not easy on the kids uh, I understand why they're there uh, I think it's important for you know the program to know who's going to come in that fall before the fall but Brew McCoy just simply wasn't ready to commit anywhere in January, you know, and 
he he was an early signee, so I, I think that he kind of he moved up the deadline for himself. And I feel like if he had just given himself till February, maybe he could have spent a little bit more time in Austin, and then also he would have known who the coordinator was at USC by that point. And I think at that at that juncture, he might have been able to make a a more informed decision about his future. As it was, he has now spent a portion of time at two schools and decided that he liked door number one better. Yeah. Uh, let's also address the the reality. The, the floodgates are open on transfers, and the stigma is off. It's, it, it's no longer a... Uh, as monumental of a decision to say I'm transferring because it's just so commonplace now that I don't know. I think maybe five years ago this plays out entirely differently because you'd be really worried about the perception of I'm leaving after two weeks. I'm leaving again after whatever. I'm sure that he is stressed by the flack and backlash and the way it's going to be perceived, but it's even still, it's just much more, acceptable now for anything like this to happen, even though this is so unique. I mean, there's no precedent that we know of for this, but I I just don't think five years ago this happens for anybody. Well, a lot of people are going to make a connection to the transfer portal. And I I know that that's changed the game. I actually don't think the portal had anything to do with Brew McCoy. No. And I think we should clarify that for people because... I think they think that the portal has everything to do with it. Well, the, the portal is just a means, a, a, a vehicle for the whole thing. But the sheer number of transfers we see these days has just made it acceptable and, and commonplace and routine where I, I don't think that it's as stressful or, or as tough a decision to make when you decide, you know what, I'm going to be somewhere else. You just, you just do it now. Right, but I guess, how would you say the portal comes into play for some kids, but maybe not for Brew McCoy? Well, it's it's made the whole process easier and more seamless, and uh, it reduces some of the restrictions that used to be on, on transfers. And uh, With McCoy, though, it's... It, he was going to do what he was going to do. It wasn't that he needed a, a vehicle to make it make it happen. He, as we just discussed, got to USC and felt very out of place with what he thought he was signing up for. Right. So and then, take, and then, take your average kid. Like, let's, let's take Randall Grimes, who, you know, former Trojan, has since moved on, entered the portal. He needed the portal to basically publicize the fact that he'd been released from USC and was available. Right. And without the portal, then he basically would have to be doing a lot of the legwork where he would have to reach out to a bunch of schools not knowing if they had any interest in him. And, And a lot of them might not have. And... It could be, you know, kind of an exhaustive ordeal for him, and and end up being futile. Now, with him being in the portal, anybody that's interested in him can freely contact him, and they can go back and forth. 
So when you're someone that's already been in a program and already played and there's already film on you, uh, the portal is invaluable because, again, it's, it, it notifies the rest of the country that you can be recruited again. And some people are learning, some players are learning that it's not as simple as entering the portal. There's still a few Trojans, in fact, that are in the portal, that have been in the portal for a while and don't have a home. They don't have a school. And the penalty for them, I mean, it's not, there's, it doesn't go without consequence. When you enter the portal, the, your original school does not have to honor your scholarship moving forward in the event that you do not find another school to play for. They could take you back, but they don't have to. So that's kind of the danger that you run entering the portal. Uh, you're risking not having a scholarship at all. For Brew McCoy, why this is different is because he was one of the top prospects in the country. So the moment that he announces that he's leaving USC and once he's gotten his release, it's fair game and everybody wants him. Everybody would find a way to get him on their roster. They would make room. They would do whatever they needed to do if Brew McCoy reciprocated interest in them. So he, he just was such a big prospect. He was he was above it, essentially. Yeah, yeah but also, it, it was never uh, uh, an exploration process for him either, though. It, it wasn't, okay, I'm leaving here. Where am I going? You're it's, right. He it, was already both, going to Texas. In, in both cases, it was, okay, I need to go over here. Yeah. So it, 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 it really doesn't matter, period, whether he had that clout or not because it was about one program each time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he, I guess he had that safety net of I could end up, I could go to a lot of places right now if I so choose. But you make a good point because before he left USC, officially, he was already going to Texas. That's what it was. So, I mean, we reported that he was transferring to Texas before he had officially entered the transfer portal. And then he entered the portal, which just was a formality in this instance, and then he enrolled in Texas. And that's basically what happened the other way. And, and that's where, as we were reporting the story, I know we were ahead. And uh, you might have you noticed that there were other people who, <laughs> unfortunately, tried to discredit what I've been reporting, uh, I guess because they didn't like the fact that I was ahead, but I found out initially on Sunday night that this could be happening, and then on Monday morning that this was happening. Last Monday morning, I found out on, on May 27th that Brew McCoy was transferring back to USC, that he was going to leave Texas and come back to USC. So that's something that we had known at the beginning of the week. It's something that they had decided. In fact, he had decided it a while ago, well before I knew about it. It wasn't, I didn't get this from him, and it wasn't something that just happened this week. It's something that's been in the works for a few weeks and had been decided some time ago. It just so happened that I, I found out on Monday what was going on. And so I, I know there was a lot of, 
misinformation being put out there uh, and contradicting reports. But uh, Bruce McCoy had made up his mind some time ago. It's something that had, had been planned. Uh, he'd not been in contact with Texas for a little while uh, as he kind of weighed the decision and I'm sure was struggling over it. And then out of respect for that staff, he did host them in the middle of the week uh, last Wednesday and, and heard them out. But at that point, uh, he informed them that he would not be returning to Texas because he already made up his mind that he was coming back to USC. Yeah. And so the, the portal here, I mean, he, he officially went into the portal late Friday afternoon. And, and all that meant was that USC now could freely talk to him directly. Whereas before, there was a lot of conversation going through back channels. And so USC knew that Brew McCoy was coming. And, and Brew McCoy had, had already determined that, that he was going to USC. But with the transfer portal, that's where, you know, he could talk to USC, he could talk to Clay Helton directly. Uh, he, could, he could talk to anybody as well. I mean, he's technically a free agent right now and is free to, to entertain anybody's offer. But he'll be coming to USC. And, you know, we made the point already, but just to reinforce it, this is unprecedented. It was just such an unlikely uh, turn of events. I, I, a month ago, if you had told me this was going to happen, I would have thought no chance. But why was it possible? Let's go back to when he left. And uh, we talked to Clay Helton, I guess it was a couple weeks later, a few weeks later, uh, our first chance to ask him about it. And his comment at that time was very interesting. On National Signing Day. Yeah, on National Signing Day. I, I, I often think that Clay says too much for his own good or just for the situation. And I thought in that moment he definitely said too much. That was my feeling at the time when he said that the relationship I'll have with that young man was is lifelong and we, we have this great friendship and he loved his time at USC. And it just, it just seemed like he was trying to placate the situation a little too much. But in hindsight, uh, I, I think that that plays a factor now. And, and the way he handled that and the way he dealt with that publicly makes it a lot easier for Bruno to make this decision to come back. And so I, I have to kind of go back on my opinion at that point and say, you know, maybe Clay played that right. Well, he absolutely did because he released him. Clay did not have to allow Brew to go to Texas. Mind you, the team that embarrassed USC just a few months before and hosted Brew on that game when Brew is supposed to be a lot to go to USC. And, like, like we've already mentioned, Brew is not even in the portal yet, and yet he was already committed to Texas. Yeah. That infers that there was contact there. And let's not be naive. Like, there's always contact, all the time, all over the place. Brewing just happened upon Texas in January. They basically never gave up on him. And he was only at USC for two and a half weeks. And, and Clay still said, you want to go to Texas? You can go to Texas. I don't think every coach would have done that. I, I definitely don't. And, and I think that, I don't think 
most coaches or any coach would have been publicly critical, but I think that their comments would have been much more terse or or less accepting and and understanding of the situation. And I think in that scenario, there's an awkwardness that would exist and would maybe be an obstacle to doing something like this because you, you feel bad about the way things parted or you, you, you don't feel... You don't feel like that relationship can ever be the same again. Whereas Clay, to his credit, left the door wide open for this to happen. I, I can't imagine that he thought this was a possibility himself. Right. But, but he's just, you know, it, even when we, we've been very critical of Clay on here and, uh, and talked about, you know, his standing, should he come back last season, we've always made the point that he's a first-class person. He's, he's one of the nicest people you'll ever meet in college athletics. And that quality maybe doesn't always work to his advantage in a, a ruthless business like college football. But in this situation, I think it definitely did. And I think it's, it's a point we have to make and mention here. Well, and he communicated both to Bruin, to all players, that I'm not trying to control you. You know, I, I, I'll coach you. And I'm sure he was extremely disheartened when McCoy transferred initially. But at the same time, if you don't want to be here, then go. <laughs> you shouldn't be here then. Yeah. And so he let him go. And, you know, you know the old saying, if you love something, let it go. If it comes back to you, it's yours. So let's kind of get into why this matters, why this is such a big deal. Now, go back to the 2019 recruiting class. And to me, the biggest storyline was how many local prospects USC missed on, how many recruiting battles they lost, how few of the top players in California they got. And having Brew at that time didn't erase that narrative, but it helped that, okay, we got one of the very top guys. So maybe the depth wasn't there. It wasn't a great cycle for recruiting local talent, but we still got one of the absolute studs. When he goes away, at that point, you're left with, I think, uh, like three of the top 30 prospects in California. <sighs> Kyle Ford, Drake Jackson, uh, Max Williams. We're, yeah. the, we're the only top 30 California prospects they had once Brew had left. So, again, getting him back doesn't change the reality that it was a down recruiting year for USC overall, but it certainly helps. It certainly helps to have the headliner back in the class. And, and why is he ranked so high? He was one of, he, he, one of those guys that you, you see on the field and you just know this is, there, there's no doubt here. There's, there's no variable. This guy is going to be a stud in college football. He was the one guy last cycle for me that I saw and said, this is just obvious. This guy's going to be a, a difference maker quickly wherever he goes uh in this cycle there's guys like justin flow where you, you just you just watch him for 10 minutes and you just know like there, there's no doubt it's, it's not a mystery it's not a uh, i wonder if he's gonna make it or not he's gonna be a star and that's the way that i felt and i, I would assume that most everybody felt watching brew mccoy last fall yeah I, i'm gonna read the quote that yogi roth gave us uh in january when i asked him about brew mccoy he said, freak, amazing, he's incredible. He's one of my favorite guys that I've been around. 
Athletically, you just watch him play, and he's special. Incredible ball skills. And he's not going to have to be the dude day one because of the depth they have. But he's going to be a number one receiver at this school. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's true in so many ways because we don't know if he'll be eligible this season. The expectation from him and everyone else that I talk to is that he will not be eligible. USC is doing what it can to get him eligible. They've already been doing some of the legwork. You know, they have some of his financial aid information because he had initially signed there. And so they've been preparing his case and are hoping to get him eligible by filing a waiver to the NCAA. But it is not expected that that will be granted. Yeah, just just going back to his potential, though, I, I think back to I went to see their playoff game, Mother Day's playoff game. I think it was against Mission Viejo. And he had three touchdowns that night. And it just seemed like whenever I looked up, he was behind the defense and he was just wide open. And, you know, obviously everyone knew he was a focal point. He's a guy that you would double team or game plan for. And he was just consistently just wide open running downfield um, on the way to long touchdowns. You know, in terms of just personality, he's going to get a lot of scrutiny. He's going to get a lot of criticism for not knowing what he wanted, changing his mind twice. But talking to him back in December and January, he's a really impressive guy. And he's kind of that model representative you would want for your program. And I know that that seems odd to say now in light of the transfers and going back and forth and everything. But I, I think he's going to come through this fine because of, of, of who he is and how he carries himself. And once USC fans get a chance to hear him speak and, and see him uh, in front of the camera, that'll become clear. But it's, it, it's a great addition for the program in every way. He was one of the, the most uh, impressive guys in that recruiting class that I covered, both on the field and off the field. And it's just a, just a huge win for USC. I mean, you're uh... – your your point actually reminds me of the the comment that he made. He he released a statement uh, upon announcing his transfer from Texas a couple days ago, and in that statement he said, "I will do my best to earn back the trust and respect I've lost as a result of this process." No matter what, the the Texas fans aren't going to ever look positively upon this. That's just a lost cause. But I have no doubt that. This whole last handful of months is going to be forgotten by USC fans, and it's it's not going to be held against Bruce McCoy here at all. And I I really think that once people kind of get to know him a little bit and see him carry himself and represent himself, it's uh, that'll all be quickly forgotten. Yeah, among the fan base, sure. He still has to go back into that locker room. It's one that he was briefly in and walked away from. And I know that he has a lot of friends on the team that have been supportive throughout the process, uh, particularly younger players that he's closer in age to, that he might have played with before or played against. But there are some veterans also in this locker room who weren't happy with what happened. And I think it showed a lot of integrity and character that uh, you didn't see 
those veterans kind of voiced an opinion publicly. They didn't take to Twitter to air him out like they could have. You did see some of that from Texas uh, in the aftermath of his visit with the Texas coaching staff. But I do know that he does have to win some people over in the locker room. And that's coming straight from the locker room. Uh, they, just, they, they need to know that he's all in. Sure. And, and I think he'll have a good chance to prove that. Uh, in fact, he's coming back at a good time because it's summer and it, it's not formal right now. It's a lot of downtime, a lot of bonding, but there is a lot of work. It's a lot of conditioning. You're kind of going through the grind. It's not as fun with the football, but it can be fun off the field. Uh, but on the field, it's, you know, it's, it's weight room. And like I said, it's just a, a lot of running. And and this is where I think players really can build a chemistry and a bond uh, outside of the playbook, and and that's where that's where what he'll be walking into once he gets there, uh, you know, later later this month. Yeah, you made a great point though. Um, go back to Chris Steele's decision to leave Florida, and it was very much on the radar here, obviously, because a lot of people thought that USC was was in play for him. He got. He got trashed by a bunch of Florida players on Twitter. It, it was not a it was not a uh, smooth exit, and you're right that didn't happen here. That, that that wasn't the reaction from the USC players on social media. It may have been, you know, a private thought or feeling they had, but it it wasn't. He wasn't you know kicked on the way out the door. No, no. And I think, I think Clay Elkin stuck that tone too. Like, let's yeah. be sure to point that out because that, that's just not what he's about. And so they take after their coach in that way. We, we, in fact, with all, all these players, really, that have gone into the portal, that have left, or are still weighing that decision, I haven't heard a bad word from anyone uh, or seen a bad word publicly about those individuals that right. were leaving or, or have left already. And, and I'm sure there is going to be a little awkwardness with some guys, and he's going to have to work to repair that, like you said. That's a great point. But what he has working to his advantage is that he, he's probably not a, a major part of the on-field product in 2019. We expect that he will not be eligible. So his future in this program is really down the road, and he is already deeply – in and tight with a lot of the key guys that are part of that that future. He and JT Daniels are very close. He and Amon Ross St. Brown are very close. He and Jude Wolf, who was his roommate here before he left, are very close. So he has a lot of allies that he doesn't have to work to earn back, that have just are just already there with him. That I think makes this a lot easier transition. As opposed to going into a program where you don't have that infrastructure already in place. Right. Okay. So, hypothetically, if he were granted a waiver to play this season, how do you see him fitting in? Like, like Yoki mentioned, there's just, there's just so much depth. I don't think there's a major role there to be had by any of the freshmen. Um, even even when the, if we expect that the sheer volume of targets and uh, the opportunity to have to go four wide and rotate a lot of guys through... I, I just don't think there's a major role for any freshman to be had this season. I, I think that you, your top three plus Devin Williams uh, are going to dominate most of what we see in the passing game. 
Yeah, I think that's what it looked like in spring practice. I know that they didn't install everything. Uh, it, the conversation I had with Pittman a couple weeks ago helped clarify that they count Josh Follow, the tight end, when they go four wide. I, right. I kept looking for four wide receivers, and I didn't see that in spring. But Follow is much more of a receiver than a blocking tight end. And I think he could be a dynamic receiver, in fact. And they want to utilize him much more than they have. And let's see if they do it. I realize some people are going to hear that and you know, still be skeptical. And I don't blame them because we've been waiting a long time. But Pittman did uh, distinguish that four wide for them often includes a tight end. So we, we kind of know who their top receivers are. But if they run a lot of plays and they're going fast, I, I still think that there's playing time to be had for reserve wide receivers. And I mean, it starts with Devin Williams, but that could include a freshman. And, and I think that's where it can get pretty competitive. I mean, we might see a couple of freshman receivers redshirt depending on health. But I still think that a couple of them can play, can make an impact. They're not going to be a leading receiver. They're not going to do what Amon Ross St. Brown did last year. But even catching 15, 20 balls is a significant contribution for you know a, a pass-heavy offense. Yeah, I, I, I can see that happening. I, I guess my point is, though, that it's not, it's not the biggest deal if he has to sit out this year. It, it, it's not a game-changer in terms of of what they would want to do. Well, no, unless he was ready to just be dominant, then you, you never pass that up, and you'll take that. And we've seen USC freshman wide receivers come in and kill it. That's not a new thing. So I wouldn't write it off. If he has that talent and he's ready to go and that mature, then I think he definitely could matter. But uh, I don't think that they are in a bad place without him either. Yeah, now, it, uh, it was obviously a different offense last year, but we also saw Devin Williams have a breakout game when he started in place of Pittman and then not really get the opportunity the rest of the way. So you, sure. you, could, you could say that, that that performance would have merited more chance and there just wasn't that opportunity to be had. Now, again, different offense, different coordinator, we don't know. I, I just think that they're, they're so deep there, it's going to be tough for any of those guys to make a major impact. Well, here's the funny thing, because... While I do agree that they're the deepest unit on the team because of how good they are from top to bottom, remember spring, they didn't even have enough guys in practice. They were shorthanded at times because a couple guys were were limited at different points. They've been hungry for more scholarship receivers. And so... I think that they're excited even just to have him in practice this fall. I think that's a big deal. I had a coach tell me that. that you know, when I asked him about grad transfers and, and adding to this class, uh, 2019, this was just maybe about a month ago, uh, they told me that, well, we're, we're still looking for receivers, believe it or not. And he was not alluding to Brew. It was more the fact that they're a little bit shorthanded in terms of bodies, just for what you want to do with like a scout team on one side of the field and then rotating on the other side of the field in your team periods during practice, during training camp. And, I mean, of course, they didn't have all their 
their true freshman in yet. They only had John Jackson III, and therefore he got a lot of reps. He got way more than he otherwise would have, I believe. But they need a couple more bodies, and you can't just expect that everyone remains healthy because that never happens. So I do think that Brew McCoy helps the quality of practice and will make an impact there at the very least. But if he were to find eligibility this season, then I think after your top three, it's still wide open. Even though I'm a big believer in Devin Williams and I see a bright future, I don't know that that future is now. I don't know yet. I'd like to think that it is, but I cannot tell you that he's going to have a breakout season in 2019. So beyond their top three of Pittman, Vaughns, and St. Brown, hey, anyone can be the number four receiver right now. And, and maybe that's where Josh Follow steps in, even though he's a tight end, but you know he's the next option. And maybe he has the big season that he looks capable of having. Yeah, that's, that's fair. So let's go back to the eligibility thing one more time. We've had a few questions about why he would be eligible given that he was a, an early counter for USC and is coming back. Uh, again, there's no precedent here to point to, and so there's not a, a prime case example of how the NCAA has dealt with this. From your what you've gathered, what you understand, what do you think is the reasoning why he likely or possibly wouldn't be eligible? Well, for the simple matter that he transferred, uh, he hasn't filed that waiver. He, he never... He never filed it while at Texas, and that's something I haven't been able to figure out why. But that's confusing. Uh, and I don't know if that's because he wasn't sure if he wanted to stay there, and therefore wasn't looking to, to take that step in the event that he wanted to leave. I, I don't know. You know. Maybe he did not have both feet in at Texas while he was there. I mean, it, it, it didn't take that long for him to leave there, ultimately, in well, the big picture. But... Uh, uh, but when you transfer, I mean, the, the precedent has always been that you transfer and you're sitting out of here unless you're a grad transfer. Now, we've seen a number of players in the past 12 months get a waiver. And the one that kind of confuses me the most about it is Tate Markell, the quarterback that was formerly at Ohio State. I know a lot of you guys are already familiar with him. He was a, a USC target for a long time, some time ago. And he takes off to Miami. And what I'm, what my suspicion is with him is that he was cleared because they cleared Fields to come to Ohio State. And, and so if he wanted to leave because Fields had come, then CAA might have deemed it unfair to not let Martell go. Now, Fields was cleared on an entirely different case because he had like a harassment issue while he was at Georgia. And so he, he, had, he had procured a uh, you know, top-notch lawyer to, to present his case and to make it, and he won. But once he was cleared at Ohio State, I think then, when you know, Ohio State, they, they released Martell. And so I think it has something to do with it as well. If, if a school releases you, then that kind of, I think, opens the door for the NCAA to say, okay, if you're okay with him leaving, then we're okay with it. Yeah. So, so I think it, it might even come back to Texas and um, 
you know, and, and how they deal with McCoy's transfer. Possibly. In, in general, the NCAA has gotten a lot more lenient and lax on transfers in recent years. Um, the point about not following the waiver, that to me does not represent what he felt about Texas. I mean, normally the school takes the lead on that in a lot of cases. But I'll, as a. But it's, it's been reported that he didn't sign it, that they had prepared it and then that he wouldn't sign it. Okay. Yeah, and, and that, that's where we have to talk to him, and we haven't. And so I don't know why he didn't follow through with that, because typically that happens right when you transfer. I assume that he'd already been working on that back in January, and we, I kept waiting to hear the decision on McCoy. And, and I didn't realize that a, a waiver had not been filed until just last week when you know we were learning that he was leaving Texas and coming back to USC. Yeah, well, just, just really an example, though. So when I covered Florida, uh, this would be the spring of, of 2018, they got two transfers in. Two wide receivers, Van Jefferson from Ole Miss and Trevon Grimes from Ohio State. And we kept asking Dan Mullen, uh, what's the status on the waiver? And they didn't follow, uh, follow that waiver until, until May, I think it was. And as we came to find out, in Van Jefferson's case, they were waiting to see how the rest of the Ole Miss transfers played out, particularly Shea Patterson went to Michigan. And they wanted to see if there was a blueprint they could follow or if they had to tweak their their appeal right? based on how that worked. With Trevon Grimes, though, he, he moved back to Florida for family reasons. His, his mom was uh, going through some health issues. And even in that case, they waited until after spring practice to file it. So I, I don't think that's uncommon. I, I, don't, I don't think there's a, a necessarily a, a set timing when, when schools do it. I don't know all the logistics or logic that goes into that, but – it's, it's not a major red flag to me that that was not filed. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, like I said, uh, I know that USC has been doing the legwork on a waiver for McCoy, and they intend to file that, and they're hopeful. They, I know that I've, I've been told that they're hopeful that he would be cleared because he was an initial counter for them. He was going to count against their scholarships, their, their 85 count and their class of 2019-25 count for the, for the entirety of the year, even though he was going to be a Texas. Yeah. Even, even had he stayed in Texas and played for them this fall or, or redshirted, whatever would have happened there, he was going to count against USC uh, for uh, 2019. And therefore, he's back. He's back where he originally signed. He, he did sign with USC originally. And so they believe that he should be able to play. And, and I actually understand that logic. You know, I, I don't know how you feel about the whole situation. I mean, I'm usually a pro player. And so when, when McCoy typically, or when he originally transferred, I thought, well, I don't believe that he'll be eligible. I think you and I kind of debated it a little bit. You thought there was a real chance that he would be. And I just thought, well, the basis for him transferring to me is invalid for for a waiver. Just that, you know, I don't want to be at USC anymore. And they got rid of their, or they lost their offensive coordinator. And now I'm going to Texas. I just didn't think that was legitimate given the precedent of the NCAA, you know, with waivers. And, historically not clearing people to play and making them study here. But at this juncture, going back to your initial school that you signed with, and, and also the fact that last year, Brew McCoy 
playing high school football. Right? He was a high school student playing high school football. He graduated high school. We're, what, half a year removed from that, from him being in high school? And now he's attending two schools, USC and Texas, going back to USC. At the end of the day, he's coming out of high school. He has not played college football. He's practiced with the team. He didn't even practice with USC, but he practiced with Texas. But he's not played any college football. If he's academically eligible, my logic tells me he should be eligible to play football. I, I see no good reason why he shouldn't be allowed to play college football this year, one year removed from high school football, and academically eligible. I totally agree. I mean, that is the logic. That, that, that's, that makes the most sense. But it is also the NCAA. And <laughs> right. So. <laughs> sure. We'll find out. I, I just think that he shouldn't be punished at this point. I, I mean, he's already facing a lot like, more scrutiny than the typical high school prospect will, will ever face. And he knows that. And, and that's, that's, the, that's the consequences that he'll have to deal with uh, for his, his choices. I, I mean, Twitter has been awful. I don't even like going on there and and seeing what's being said about him. It's wholly unfair to just attack him the way that, that he's being attacked. But he's a football player. What what benefit is it to anyone for him not to play football this year? You make a compelling point, sir. I just, I just don't think... I mean, he's 18 years old, right? Like... Yeah. He, he's a young man, and I, I'm sure he would say that he probably made some mistakes in his process because uh, he was undecided about school. I mean, he's not someone that publicly is on Twitter going back and forth and, and trying to, to bring all this attention to himself. I realize the choices he's making is going to naturally, you know, be controversial and... and and attract a lot of attention. But he's not necessarily asking for it, right? And he's not even uh, entertaining any of the recruiting because he he went straight from USC to Texas. He, he did not uh, even, like I said, have any re recruitment between the two schools and the portal was more of a formality. And now it becomes one again for him as he comes back to USC. So he's not playing the field. You know, you don't see him all over with... He doesn't have a list going. Um, he's not pretending to, you know, to, to be a free agent, even though he technically is one. And so he's been trying to figure out, where do I want to go to college? And that's what I see at the end of the day, is that it's a kid who, who wasn't sure where he wanted to go to college. And there was a deadline that was imposed upon him. And he, you know, he brought it up to January. That, that, that's on him. But, but the initial deadline, I mean, the, the deadline's still there for February. He still would have had to have signed somewhere by then. And he, he needed more time. And that's all that really happened. Yeah, but, that, but that's not 
relevant to the NCAA. They, they don't care if a kid's seeking attention or not seeking attention. That's not going to be part of their evaluation process. Yeah, but, but see, like, it wasn't even like he got to Texas and he was not seeing the field or was buried or anything. I mean, from, from all accounts, he had a, a pretty nice spring and was already moving up the depth chart. And, you know, again, had he been eligible, uh, would have had a role on that team as well. So this isn't a situation of, I went to school in the fall and I don't like my coach and I'm not playing and I'm, I have to redshirt and I want to leave the school. Uh, he... You know, he he had the opportunity to play there. Uh, he just didn't want to be there anymore. And now he wants to be at USC. And so again, I know that this logic has not typically uh, been recognized by the NCAA, but now that they are handing out waivers left and right, and, and like I, I mentioned Kate Martell, Kate Martell was like bring on initially when the rumors of Justin Fields were out there of going to Ohio State, and then Fields gets there, and Markel sees the writing on the wall, and he's like, "I gotta get out of here." Yeah. <laughs> so that's the one I'm gonna keep pointing to. It, if he's eligible, I don't know why Brew McCoy wouldn't be. I'm with you. I'm with you. It's just uh, it, they they will be creating a precedent here, so there will be a, something in the base future case, future cases on the Brew McCoy rule, but as yeah. of right now, it's, it's just very much up to, uh, speculation and, yeah. and, and guesswork. Yeah. I don't believe that he'll be eligible. I just, I, I believe that he should be eligible. Now let's take a quick look at the 2020 lineup. Let's say that McCoy is not eligible and has to redshirt and joins the team or, you know, he's able to play in 2020. What does that look like to you, that receiving core? I don't think it's hyperbole to say that it is in the conversation for being one of the best units in the country. In uh, 2020? In 2020. Wow. You're, I mean, that's a, that's a big projection there. I, I feel comfortable saying that for 2019. But 2020 definitely will not include Pittman. It might not include... Tyler Vines, who will be a redshirt senior and will have a decision to make after this season. I know some people have already determined or fully expect him to go. I don't look at it that way because right now he's not a high-end NFL prospect. Now, he could change that this season, but I don't know that guy will significantly change, even with a big season. I don't know that scouts will see him much differently, and therefore... uh, it will really be up to him whether he just wants to kind of chance it and, and enter the draft or return for another year. But um, I wouldn't just say that he's not on the team in 2020. So, you know, he could be there. Amon Ra definitely will be there. And then you're talking about this crop of freshmen who, you know, we don't know a lot about yet. Devin. And Devin Williams. Yep. And you're already ready to stay with Bru McCoy adding to the mix. That that you think that that could be one of the top units in the country, or would be? Uh, definitely could be. I mean, you'd have a five-star Amon Ross St. Brown in his third year. You'd have Devin Williams, who I think we both agree the potential and ceiling is really high, and I don't see any any reason why he wouldn't reach that or have that breakout. If it's not this year, then you definitely expect it to be in twenty twenty. You have Brew McCoy, who was one of the top recruits in the entire 
2019 class, five-star guy. Uh, so just you know, on, on track record, on um, on uh, pedigree alone, you can make that argument. And then just just knowing these players and the potential I see for them, I would make that argument. And we, we don't know what the likes of Kyle Ford and Drake London are going to uh, develop into. So there is. A great, there's a lot to like. I, there, I understand. There's, I understand there's, where there's a great from. depth of potential there where not all those guys have to hit, but there's there's so many guys that have that high ceiling yeah. that yeah. You, you would expect three or four are going to get there. Yeah. 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 They they might not miss a beat. I guess in you know in short, it, it could just be a pickup where they where they leave off at the end of this season. Uh, You'd like to believe that they'll have a, a returning quarterback that is coming off of a good year. And that has to happen first before we're going to anoint anyone. But, uh, you know, by 2020, it, it could be a third year for uh, J.K. Daniels as a starting quarterback. Yep. Well, I think we've, uh, we've hit brew from every angle possible. And uh, it's, it's a good culmination to a week where he dominated uh, all discussions USC related but let's let's uh, change directions here and we have some Q&A questions from our message board and we did this last podcast that you and I did together and I really enjoyed it I think we're going to make it a staple for all podcasts going forward is to kind of close with, with a little Q&A session so let's start with our good buddy USC Ether who asks who would you guys each pick for punt returner and kick returner? They didn't do they didn't do it live in spring, so it always makes it hard because we're kind of guessing. Uh, they had some people take reps, but sometimes they do that, and it, it, it's more just kind of working them out there as a uh, you know emergency option. Uh, I mean, we saw him on Raw get a lot of reps back there. I can see him doing that uh, on a regular basis, uh, but it, to me, it wasn't clear who would be the returners. And I'm always looking at people who have a smaller role elsewhere, right? As you know, as guys that probably should get thrown in the mix, unless unless you have like a special returner that's a primary player already, like a Marquis Lee or a Dory was before. After that, uh, I'd rather use someone that might not have a solidified role. Like, I think of, like, Isaac Taylor Stewart, right? Ex- but, ex- exactly, yep. But but they haven't really done that. We haven't seen a lot of that. So, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't have a pick right now. I, I, I wish I, I had a better feeling for who they like. But, like I said, they, they just kind of go through the... Like, when they, when they practice special teams, and we know that they do it, they're working more on the coverage. They're working more on the, the operation between, you know, the long snapper and the punter uh, or, you know, on the kickoff, but not so much on the return. They, they, I mean, I'm sure that they're, they're studying that and maybe they're, they're looking at that on film, but you don't, they're not really doing that full speed. They're, the returner is not. That's not the way that they coach it in spring. So I'm, I'm going to throw a name out. Um, I, okay. I, I, I like your Taylor Stewart pick, and I also totally agree that I would not use one of the primary uh, receivers or, or DBs in that role. I, I like someone uh, who's not being counted on elsewhere. 
I'd be really intrigued to see Keenan Christen. Christen. Mm-hmm. The, the speedy incoming running back who was challenging state records all track season down in San Diego. I don't know that he's going to have a, an obvious role on the offense. Maybe, maybe he will. Maybe he'll just – his speed, athleticism will be too much to keep off the field and they'll find a way to use him. But I think that that's a, a prime opportunity to see what that speak and translate to on special teams. Um, two other incoming guys that that have track backgrounds and, and special teams backgrounds would be Dorian Hewitt, the safety from Houston, uh, and Adonis Oti, the cornerback from uh, Tennessee. I think both are hoping they get a chance in that role too. So just yeah. a, few, a few names to keep in mind there. Um, they have a lot of young guys coming in that were not there in spring that I'm sure uh, you know have a background in it and that can do it at a proficient level. I just we haven't seen them really use that. They've kind of rested upon old faithfuls and, yeah. and used receivers. We've seen Tyler Vaughn's do it, uh, Michael Pittman do it. Um, like I mentioned, I'm on Raw already. Uh, now. In this question on the board, there was a mention of Valus Jones. And so I'm going to share something with you guys that I actually just put on our message board Sunday morning. I'm being told by a few sources that Valus might be coming back. Things have been pretty quiet on that front for most of the spring. I've asked about it and been told that it doesn't look like he'll be coming back. Uh, I mean, I, I was initially told that, that he was leaving back in February. I, you know, I, I broke that story right before spring practice that he was leaving the team and entering the transfer portal. And he actually went back home to Alabama and has spent a lot of his spring there. And then if you remember on the Michael Pittman podcast, he said that you know, he's been talking to him and has... Uh, you know, been recruiting him to come back and hoping that he would come back. Uh, Valus is very popular and well-liked on this team. And uh, Pittman also mentioned that Valus would be coming back to L.A. to work on summer school. But he didn't know if he would be actually coming back to the team. Well, as I just mentioned, a few different sources have told me that uh, they're hearing that he could be coming back. That those discussions have happened with the coaching staff. Uh, Valus remains in the portal. Uh, he's taken a few visits while he's, you know, been in there. And like I said, you can have free contact with whomever. And so he's exercised that. But now it looks like he's interested in a return to USC. And so I, I don't have confirmation that that reunion will happen, but it does sound like it could be happening. And if he comes back, then I would fully expect him to be their kick returner, their kickoff returner. That makes a lot of sense. And I forgot to mention that Greg Johnston and Elijah Griffin also took some reps uh, on kick returns. And I mean, Elijah Griffin <laughs> wasn't even in full pads, and that kind of goes to show you the, the speed in which they were they were working on those reps. But right now, it, it's so wide open that uh, it's usually a competition that plays out in training camp. Okay, a second question. I know Adam has shut the door on Chris Steele coming back. Uh, 
pretty consistently and emphatically, I might add. <laughs> Can we shut and lock the door on Bubba Bolton as well? Adam? Yeah, I, I thought I'd done that. Um, I really like that there are particular people that cover this team that want to make you believe that anything can happen. But I've asked Bubba Bolden's mother, I've, I've actually talked to her numerous times now, and she's made it clear that uh, he does not intend to come back to USC. That he's very excited and looking forward to going back to Miami. Um, when I initially reported that he'd been reinstated, I, I noted the fact that USC was wel- was welcoming and they were they were willing to take him back. Bolden needed to go to a JUCO to be a four two four transfer so that he could be eligible for this year. So even though he was reinstated, um, he needed where he was at academically. He needed to go through the JUCO and that allowed him the room to transfer. Because if he had come back to USC and just stayed there, and then, uh, you know, the, the student judicial affairs, uh, when they did the reinvestigation, if they were to determine that Bolden was ineligible, then he'd be right back where he was last fall, where he'd, have, he'd get kicked out of school and ineligible to play elsewhere. So he wasn't going to chance that. Yeah. So that's why he went to the JUCO, and in doing that, he's been in LA. He yes, he like he he would have the choice to come back to USC, but his mother, you know, emphatically herself has said, no, he's going to Miami. Question: With Bru McCoy's impending arrival, what impact does his presence have on recruiting? It's obviously it's it's we can't say with any certainty. Uh, There's a lot of other factors working against USC in this cycle, but I do think it helps because, again, the narrative arose with the 2019 class that the the top local guys weren't coming to USC. And it doesn't impact everybody. A lot of guys are very independent thinking and make their own decision based on on very personal factors. But I do think for other guys... uh, they are influenced by trends, by by what their peers are doing, and that there's a perception that all the top guys are going elsewhere and, and not considering USC. I think it does seep into the the thought process for some guys. Getting Brew back kind of counteracts some of that, and I mean he he was as high profile as any California recruit, or really national recruit in that last class, and. Him signing on again when nothing's changed on the field, um, they're still coming off a five and seven season. Uh, can only help, can only make it more palatable of an option to some guys who are influenced by such things and and who care about the perception and and the trends. Yeah, I, right. It doesn't hurt. I think when he left, that did hurt. Yeah, and so I don't know that it is a wash now. I think that unfortunately he probably did more damage when he left than you know than what he'll be like, what impact he'll have in a positive way uh, That's fair. moving forward. But this class coming up is all going to come down to what happens in the field. Uh, in some respects, I feel like recruiting wise, his return is irrelevant because. Is Clay Hilton going to be the head coach in 2020? Is Graham Harrell going to be the offensive coordinator at USC in 2020? 
are they a winning program going into 2020? Go go for the bigger questions. Go that's what's really going to determine recruiting for 2020. Yeah, most definitely. I I, I think it, it's fair to say it doesn't hurt though, and no, no. It, it's it, it's it helps the perception because when he left, even though this wasn't his intent, he's making a statement about what he feels concerning the direction of that program and that it wasn't something he was willing to invest in any longer. That's the statement that comes when the headliner of a class leaves. So I, it, it, I think it helps in some regard, but you're absolutely right. If they don't deliver on the field, they're not going to be able to salvage this class. I talk to countless guys and who make the same point and go, I'm just kind of, I want to wait and see what it looks like. I want to wait and see how they, how, they, how they do, what direction the program's moving in. That's, that's a very real sentiment for a lot of the top prospects in this 2020 cycle. Yeah. All right, next question. Trojans Freak asks about Aaron Osmus, the new and old and now again strength and conditioning coach. What is his overall philosophy? How do the players feel about the new philosophy? Any gains? I, I guess let's kind of start with what Michael Pittman told you, Adam, because I thought he had some really interesting comments there. Yeah, the first word that he said was power. Uh, he said that uh, that was a priority for Clay Helkin going into the offseason. This USC football team was punked last year. It was pushed around. I know people feel like it's been like that for a while, but if you look at the way that they ran the ball the previous season uh, and the year before that, the, the previous two years, 2016 and 17, you know, their performance doesn't really uh, fit that narrative. Um, I think with the defensive line, it's maybe a little bit more valid. Uh, you know, maybe in, in recent years, it's it kind of been up and down, and you don't feel like they're winning the trenches on a consistent basis. They obviously do it at points, but not regularly, and it hasn't felt dominant. I understand that. I understand the way it looks and the way it feels. But last year, it was indisputable, where they, they just were destroyed on both sides of the line on a regular basis. And... With Aaron Osmus, he has an entirely different temperament and philosophy uh, compared to Ivan Lewis. And so a lot of it is about strength. Pittman went on and on about how the, the stuff that he's doing, he didn't know that a receiver could do or should do in, in their workouts. And I realized that you know that's maybe on a different end of the spectrum uh, in, in terms of uh, the type of workout that you would do for a receiver compared to a lineman. But... If he's feeling it, I think that's a pretty good sign. And I've been hearing that kind of across the board from players that I've talked to. You know, they're just really excited. They're really engaged. That was another point that was made. Uh, I've had a couple people tell me that, that they felt like there was a disconnect between Ivan Lewis and the players for a while. Lewis had been there for a while, and maybe it got uncomfortable. I don't know. Uh, but... Now they're saying that you know people are just they're buying in. The attendance is better. The accountability is better, and so it's not just you know Porter Gustin being the the model example. And because I think with Porter, that almost could work the other way, where well I'm not like him or I'm not him. So therefore, you know, uh, you're you're not looking at him and and feeling ashamed. 
knowing that you're just different than him. Where they don't maybe have that maniac, but uh, it, it's just more, I think, uh, you know, everyone needs to, to be here and everyone needs to do it. And, and so they've been challenged to be there four times a week. And Pittman has said that the turnout has been really, really good. Um, and now these things aren't all linear. Not everything's just about getting bigger and faster, stronger, the way that people want to talk about it. Uh, one, you know, one player that was brought up was J.K. Daniels, who had a lot of baby fat and, and wasn't in good shape and, and did not need to get bigger. He needed to, to trim. And Pittman said that that's happened, that he's lost maybe 15 pounds and, uh, and needed to improve his core strength. That's a point that, that Clay Helkin had made, but that he's really been working on his body. And we couldn't really tell in spring in terms of his movement because the reps aren't really live for the quarterback. So we probably won't even know that until games. But it was evident that if he's going to be your quarterback, uh, he cannot be a statue in the pocket. And that was the case too many times last year. So he's going to have to play that position a little bit differently. Even though this offense will call for him to get the ball out quicker and will rest more on his arm than anything, uh, he has to be able to move. And last year, uh, he maybe wasn't even in the physical shape to do that. And so moving forward, uh, I think he might be better equipped to run, you know, just run that position the way that it needs to be done in 2019. Because there are very few quarterbacks now that get away with just standing there and, and not moving and, and not working on platform. And that's just one example. Uh, but I'm hearing from many that they love Osmus and they're invigorated and they're working really hard. They don't have easy days in that weight room and in conditioning. And they're, uh, they're excited. You know, I mean, they, they came into the season probably with a bit of an edge and a bit of an attitude. And I think a change there uh, couldn't have come at a, at a better time. Yeah, you know, so I, I did a big profile on Osmus back in early April, and uh, I had the chance to talk to Marquis Step about him at that time too, and kind of get a player's perspective. And you could tell it wasn't lip service from Mar- Marquis; like it was a, like he was genuinely uh, exclamatory about the difference. And his line was, "Man, it was a rude awakening." And you know, we. we I kind of tried to press him on on what he felt maybe was missing before, and he, he didn't want to, you know, say anything bad about Ivan Lewis. But he said, "I really felt like it was on the on the players, on the accountability. It just it just wasn't there." And that was a major emphasis of of Osmus. And when I asked Osmus what directives he got from Clay Helton when he returned, accountability was the first thing that they wanted to establish that the accountability part off the field. Uh, while at the same time that was a huge part of their on the field emphasis in spring, and but it, it's it's a major component to what he's trying to do there. In terms of his philosophy, though, he kind of explained it to me this way. He he teaches the guys uh, to focus on a pyramid, and 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 the base of the pyramid is the strength foundation. The middle part is the power production facet, and the top is speed. And the way he explained it was, you know, whenever I, he asked guys, what do you want to get better at? They all say, oh, coach, I want to get faster. I want to get faster. And he says, okay, we'll do that, but our speed program is, is built on being strong, being powerful, which will support the speed. So there's 
a little bit of a different emphasis on on that strength and, and power component to it that is uh, is very paramount to his approach. All right, next question. What did you hear about Brew at Texas football-wise? Was he big time during the spring? Yeah, I, I read very positive things, but I actually plan to get in touch with a reporter over there uh, that orangebloods.com is a major site on the Rivals Network. They do a great job covering that team. And so I've already had some conversation with them about one of their guys coming on our show. And I'm hoping to do that and and we can talk in about, about Bruce specifically. So we'll try to line that up for the near future. But he was definitely he was definitely delivering on the hype uh, from everything I heard. Uh, he, he was as advertised in spring for Texas. He was going to have a role on that team. So I, I don't think that he did anything to, to damage his stock or or uh, the expectations that everyone has for him. Um, is there a player on the team that the other players rave about? Maybe that fans haven't seen, or they just haven't seen the level the players have seen. Anyone come to mind for you there in that regard, Adam? Yeah. Talanoa Hufunga. That's the one that it seems like whoever I ask, whether it be a coach or a player, they could be at a different position, whether they're dealing with him directly or they're just observing him. Everyone is impressed with him, and everyone thinks that he's next. And, and I've thought that too. But, I, you know, but my opinion doesn't carry the weight that theirs do. And it's, uh, it's interesting that he just has like a 100% approval rating, it seems like, from everyone. So right now it's just about him getting healthy and, and him recovering. Uh, I actually bumped into him recently, and uh, he sounded a little bit more optimistic about his shoulder and being ready to go by training camp and, and that's just where it probably lies. You know, if if he's right and he's on the field, then he'll probably become a great player. And everything I watched last year, that that's what I've kind of figured would happen with him. He has the, the natural makeup of a leader, uh in that Thank you. And and that A he's he's obviously supremely talented and, and, and was a difference maker as a true freshman. But he also had a swagger about him, even from the start. Like when we first talked to him last fall, as he was getting thrust into action, he just he, he had a presence and a and a palpable confidence to him that uh, th- th- there was there was no timidness that you might associate with a freshman uh, just getting his chance on that stage for the first time. He he was so at ease and and confident and ready for it. Yeah, I mean, he he actually came in spring uh, last spring and. He showed that, and I, yeah. I thought he was one of the best defensive backs, you know, 12 months ago on the team. And, and then I remember when fall came, and he was actually kind of buried in a depth chart, and I was very surprised because I felt like he had outplayed most of the guys at his position. That he was, I knew he probably needed more familiarity with the playbook and all that, but uh, I think that's just been kind of a, a lingering issue with this defense where it had been so complicated that a guy like that where his talent is just so obvious and it oozes out of him, but he was actually fifth string when training camp began and really only played because everybody in front of him either left the team or they went down. 
he was not in line to play when uh, when training camp began. I know it's it's hard to believe in hindsight, given how how valuable he became, what he really showed. But right. my point was, uh, I can totally see why other players on the team would would regard him in that way because he does have a presence about him. Everybody likes him. Yeah, I, I know him to be one of the most popular players in the team. Who are some of the weight room beasts now that Porter is gone? I don't know that I have an obvious answer. Have you, have you heard anything? I have not. Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to get back to you on that one. Um, I, I'm sure some stories will come out this, this August, though, about guys who really transformed under Allsmith's program. Um. And the last one here from JB is give us one crazy recruiting or team story that the public wouldn't know could be old if you want. That's a tough one. <laughs> well, <laughs> if I didn't report it, there was a reason for it. Right. We, we, we try and give you everything we know. Uh, well, I think we give you more than most. <laughs> but, if, I mean, there's some that, I yeah, I, I have other stories that the public doesn't know. I can't. I can't do that. I mean, I can't because it involves people that are in the program. And, yeah. you know, if if I only know them to be rumors, I don't report them. That's kind right. of where, where we draw the line here. Uh, uh, if we report uh, it, then it's sourced and there's merit to it. Uh, like everything that happened with McCoy, you know, I, I knew early that, okay, this is happening. And so, therefore, I reported it. Uh, I, I, was, I was never reporting rumors on McCoy. I was only reporting developments with this question. I, I understand why I'd be asked. Unfortunately, I feel like I'm being asked to, to give you a rumor, and I'm not going to do it. Yeah, I, I, as you touched on, I, I think that the whole Brew McCoy coverage really underscored what we try and be about as a site. And uh, Adam was setting the tone for that the coverage of that story because – the minute he he heard something that he could verify or that was credible, he was passing it along to you guys. Uh, so we try and give you everything we can possibly give you. Okay, Alan B asks, which positional group that got a new coach has made the most progress so far, and which one do you expect to improve the most when all the team gets together? I mean, obviously the whole secondary is was an in, incomplete work in progress in the spring because. Most of the guys weren't there, so that that's the group that we would expect to come the furthest in August. Once they get these extra five guys in, once Max Williams is healthy, Elijah Griffin's healthy, and we can see them all compete and and really see who rises to the top, it was impossible to really render any kind of uh, conclusions about the cornerbacks or the safeties, you know, beyond uh, Polamau and Hufanga this spring. So that that's definitely the one that will. Reveal the most in August. Yeah, but so what's your answer then? Because there were new position coaches at almost nearly every spot on the team. Yeah, I I guess I'd probably point to to Chad Kay on the defensive line. I mean, we heard such good things about that unit this spring. They obviously made some formational changes. I heard nothing but positives from the players about him and the way he's connected and, and kind of uh, already established himself and, and, and earned you know, the trust and confidence you need uh, between players and the position coach. So that, that would be my guess right now, or my answer right now. Yeah, I understand. And I, I think a lot of people would probably look at that one, and that might come to fruition. I do feel like that 
it's a little convenient because you had a group that was young in 2018. A lot of potential, a lot of talent, but they were young. And defensive linemen, maybe more than anywhere, need time. And, and I feel like they are ripe right now. And so I don't feel like, let's say, a Kenichi Ugezi been the, the coach right now, that he was holding them back. Sure. Or that they wouldn't have had sure. a very positive spring or could have had a great season moving forward. But I really do like what Chad Kay's doing. Um, I think that you know Pendergast's decision to go to a, a, a different front and using more down linemen is major. And I think it's warranted given you know where the, the strength of the defense is. So I think all these things kind of add up and, and kind of point to that. But I'm actually going to throw a curveball here. I'm going to name a unit that I don't think anybody else would have. Um, the wide receivers, I actually believe under Kerry Colbert, uh, I, I really liked what I saw from them. And I have a feeling that they're going to play a lot more consistently than they have in the past because you have to remember as good as they were last year and as good as they are there were some big mistakes and there were there were things that really kind of hurt them whether it be fumbling or whether it was just kind of being uh, maybe out of sync with the quarterback and there were some missed opportunities uh, and some touchdowns um, the route running wasn't always very clean and so I actually had a pretty good conversation with Kerry Colbert. Uh, and it's a story I didn't actually run. It's some leftovers. I mean, we get so much intel in spring that sometimes I don't get to all of it right away. But I still have this. And I'm actually looking at it on my desktop right now. But uh, I know that he was really trying to clean up a lot of their, their fundamentals. He felt like it was sloppy. And that there were, there were things that even though these were veteran receivers that they had either not been taught or they had just not improved in. And so I'm going to get into that later. I'll, I'll, I'll get around to writing that story. But uh, I think that's something that we, we saw a glimmer of in the spring and it'll be even more apparent in the fall from that receiving core, just uh, the way that they play. I think that the reason why they could become you know, the best or one of the best units in the country, uh, you know, it will be in part because of the work that Kerry Colbert will have done with them. Yeah, well, that's a good answer. Uh, Trojan Fan 68 says, what's the word with a certain O-lineman possibly not qualifying from Narbonne High School? Uh, that would be Talani Levi. Um, there was definitely some rumors and speculation that he might not – make the cut and we don't know for sure but I did reach out to him directly because I've talked to him a number of times in the past and I got an immediate response and I, I just said hey I'm, I'm hearing that there may be some obstacles to you getting into USC is, is everything still on track and and he was just very matter of fact about it that, that yeah I'm, I'm still coming and I said are you still coming in June and he goes yep and so that's that's all I can go off of I, I don't have any other intel on that but uh that's that's straight from him, and that was uh, that was last week I talked to him. So yeah, and I, and I, I followed up with my sources on that same matter, and was told that they're hopeful with him. You know, 
So if he's going to get in there, that's what we're reporting. There is another player, another member of the 2019 class, who I was told that currently is not on track to to make it. And I I don't know if that's definitive, given that they usually come in, in early June. And, you know, they could very very well enroll maybe, you know, by, by August because there are a couple of summer sessions, but then, you know, the, the fall semester does not begin until late August. And therefore, maybe there's still time to figure that out. But as of now, this individual is not on track. And this is a different player. It's not Levi. Yeah, going back to Levi, um, interestingly, so he, he's from Hawaii. He came to attend Narbonne to get better exposure in recruiting, and it worked. But he went back to Hawaii this semester. And I don't know, I'm not saying that that would have any impact on anything, but just uh, some interesting backstory on on his situation. He's been in Hawaii for a few months now. Um, moving on to our next question. Oh, you know what? I, I should have pointed this out a moment ago, but when we were asked about what unit maybe made the most progress, uh, if you ask Clay Hilton, he'll tell you the offensive line. And we didn't mention that, but that very well could be the right answer. Uh, it's, it's harder to tell, I feel like, in spring practice, uh, with my untrained eye, what's happening there. Uh, I know that they were very encouraged, uh, the players were, about what they were doing with Drevno and, and how they were performing. And, uh, and Drebno is, he's a hardline coach, so he's not one to hyperbolize what's going on. And so I, I can't just say that he was telling you that, you know, that they've, they've, uh, they're leaps and bounds better than they were. Um, but I know that Clay Helton himself loved what he was seeing from the offensive line. Well, that's a perfect segue because our next question is, can you talk O-line recruiting for 2020? Yeesh. Um, <laughs> we can. I'm not sure you want to hear it. Uh, essentially, I don't know that they have any viable strong leads for any of the top uncommitted linemen still. And and if you look at the rivals' rankings for 2020 offensive linemen, you'll see that uh, probably about 60 65% have already committed. Uh, there's been a lot of early commitments from that group, so there's not a lot of guys left. Uh, and of the ones that are, that are in that upper echelon of the ranking, I've just not heard any buzz or an, any hint that USC is in strong standing. The guys who they do have a real chance at, um, Miles Morale from Day, who's being recruited as a center, as a four-star guy, I really got the sense that he wants to stay close to home. He's also looking at UCLA. I, I, I don't know if there's if it's necessarily just down to those two, but I think there's a very strong likelihood that he chooses one of those two. And obviously, the modern day connection to USC is strong, so that's one. Um, Jeffrey Percy is a three star from Jay Sarah, who I wouldn't be surprised if he got the bump to a four star at some point. He has USC in his final four and is going to be taking an official visit. So they're definitely still in play there. Uh, a guy that I really thought initially thought was going to be uh, a definite was Drake Metcalf from, from Bosco, a three-star guard, because he has a rich family history with, with the program. Uh, his grandmother's been a season ticket holder for 
I think he said 40 or 50 years. His, his whole mother's side of the family is USC fans. He grew up around the program. But he's really enamored by Stanford um, on the academic side. And, and that's going to be the biggest factor for him in the end is going to be academics. I, I think he's totally comfortable with USC as a program. He likes Drevno. He was around a bunch this spring, sat in on meetings. So there's nothing else that USC has to sell him on. It's really just he's prioritizing academics, and he thinks that uh, Stanford is is a really special opportunity. Now, he, he didn't tell me that he's made a decision. In fact, I, I even tried to ask him uh, off the record just to try and get some insight, and he really held it close to the vest. But if you just kind of parse his comments and, and everything that's coming out, I would have to think that Stanford's probably the team to beat there. Um, they they keep offering guys, which is a sign that they don't necessarily feel good about the ones they've already offered. Uh, we saw that happen last cycle where they uh, with, with defensive backs, where they ended up signing a few guys that they didn't even offer until the final weeks. Once they realized they weren't going to get their top targets, they you cast a wider net, and expand that search, and they're actively doing that with linemen. They're, they're consistently it seems like every week offering another lineman or two. Uh, I think it's going to be a class dominated by three-star guys. They they have a lot of lines in the water on on local three stars. Um, there's another four-star guy out of Florida, out of Tampa, Connor McLaughlin, who got his offer three weeks ago and and was really stoked about being offered by USC and told me he was definitely going to make it out here for a visit and uh, it's, it really resonated with him and made an impact on him that they were recruiting him. So that's another four-star potential, but I think. They're going to end up uh, having to trust their evaluation on some three-star guys and, and hope they pick right. All right. Thank you. All righty. Uh, we're getting down to the final bit of questions, I think, here. Um, we already touched on Brew and his eligibility matter. Yeah. Uh, but the second question here from David Law is, can you each give us two players who haven't been major contributors before who you think will have a positive impact in 2019. Yeah, I'll go first. The first one is Elijah Vera Tucker. Uh, he's going to play left guard, and I thought he performed really well in cameo appearances last year, and I could see him being one of their better offensive linemen this season. Uh, I just like what he brings to the table. I like his attitude, his tenacity. Uh, he's a good athlete for a guard. And I just expect a lot from him. Uh, I think he's ready. You know, he's been in the program a couple of years. And I just, uh, yeah, I, I know the coaches are high on him. And uh, I, he probably should have played more last year, to be honest. But uh, he's someone who, you know, will go into the year, begin the year as a starter. But I think he'll actually just be good, too. Like, I think early he'll be, he'll be good. Then looking at the other side of the ball, I was really impressed with Hunter Eccles. I thought he was outstanding, especially in the back half of spring practice. Uh, you'll remember that when spring began, it was kind of precarious for him because he had briefly decided to leave the team and was in the process of, of transferring and then decided against it and, and came right back. And, and you know, not... Not totally unlike Greg Johnson at cornerback, but uh, Eccles uh, just had a really good spring. He did 
somewhat moved positions because as they re realigned their defensive front, uh, they don't have a predator now. You know, they'll use a predator in a package, but now Eccles, rather than playing predator, is playing strong side linebacker. And, and so that was a new position for him. And so that's why I think maybe he got out to a little bit of a slow start to begin spring because he was getting adjusted there. Uh, he is being asked to do quite a bit more at strong side. You know, it involves some, some coverage. Uh, you know, you're, you're really important against the run. You're not just a pass rusher, although that's what he's best at. But he's kind of learning the ins and outs of that position. And I thought by week four, week five, uh, he was one of their better linebackers. And and so we have to see what happens going into the summer, going into training camp. But I felt like he definitely made a move on the depth chart. I'm actually in the process of working on a piece, uh, identifying the 10 players that, that made the biggest moves on the depth chart, that won the most playing time based on what happened in the spring. And he is on that list. Yeah, I think he's a great answer. I, I, I would have put him in my picks too, but I'll go a different direction here. Um, yeah, get your own talks. <laughs> I'll say Chase Williams. Yeah, uh, I, ha- I, I had him as an honorable mention for this guy. I, I know he got some experience last year, but I think he's going to have a major role this year at that nickel spot. I think he's a guy that has earned a lot of trust from Clancy Pendergast and and Greg Burns, uh, Burns was very high on him a couple different points this spring when we were just kind of feeling him out and getting his take on on things. So I think he's going to be a, an integral part of that defense this year and have a mm-hmm. chance to really emerge. I'm gonna I'm gonna go uh, I'm gonna throw you a curveball here. Yeah, I'm gonna say Mr. Ben Griffiths. The okay, Aust- <laughs> the Australian punter. Just uh, and, and I say this because. Remember I thought how, I had to be people that were returning. Oh, well, okay. Well. But I don't know. Maybe maybe it doesn't. Well, if, if But they allow- haven't been major contributors. Well, Griffiths wasn't on a team. So that's why I, I understood it as people that were on a team that didn't do a lot last I year. I was just so excited to talk about Ben Griffiths. I, I, I was shoehorning him into this, this question. Okay, I mean, well, I'll, I'll stick with want. Chase Williams. But... Uh, if I if I maybe allow the rants on on Ben Griffiths, a quick we didn't talk, one, a quick we didn't one. we didn't talk about him much. I'll give you just, a minute. Just remember how how uh, off the punt team was for a large part of last season, and it was it was almost head scratching. Like I, I I had never seen so many shank punts, <laughs> and I, so I I think it matters. And I was really impressed with him this spring. I I, I like the sound of the ball coming off his foot. I like like this hang time. Uh, he can do some different things with it based on his Australian background. But I, I do think that he's going to be a, a valuable uh, contributor to the field position game this fall. So even though you didn't ask about him and he doesn't qualify for the question, <laughs> there you have it. That's fair. Do you have another guy, though, that you feel like will uh, will make a move here? Be- before you start talking, I, I was I had Eccles and, and Williams in mind, so I did not have a, a, another second choice. So I would just overlap with you and, and reiterate your Hunter Eccles point. All right. If you want to agree with me, then I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> so I think we are down to our, yes, our last question. And this is a good one. And it's for you. It is for me. Uh, but you can also chime in because you hear yeah. a lot of this stuff too. Yeah. Uh, please give us an idea of how these athletes are to deal with compared to when you first started in the business. 
and also maybe a crazy recruiting story that pops up for you. So just again, you know, my background, I didn't really cover recruiting until, until I got here. I, I was involved very little on the floor of the beat, mostly after guys had signed, I'd go do feature stories on them. So I, I can't really track the trends in, in recruiting and, and uh, what it's like to cover it. But I will just, you know, traveling around, talking to the guys, most everyone's very pleasant, very interesting. The, the tricky part, the tricky part is they are all they are all very savvy in terms of controlling their message and and what they put out there and so it's not that you're necessarily being told lies but you're not always getting the full story and a lot of it comes down to making interpretations and and reading between the lines and and trying to get a feel for things beyond just what's said and that's why it's very valuable to be on the road and do it in person. I, I was on the road most of May, and you just you, you learn a lot more by sitting down with a guy for ten minutes than you do by talking over the phone or or trading DMs. But even then, you can think you have a real sense for things and be totally misled. For instance, uh, two weeks ago, I visited with Josh Eaton in Houston, uh, a four-star cornerback who is. Uh, one of the more coveted guys in this class, really, this recruitment's taken off nationally. And I, I knew that USC was not only very high on him, but also thought they had a really good chance. And that's why I made the time to go out and, and visit with him. And he told me, you know, I'm dropping my list next week. USC will be on it. And just told me everything he loved about the program, how he and Greg Burns were talking all the time. And a week later, his list comes out, and USC's not on it. And he's since put out a list of where he's visiting this spring, and USC's not on that either. And so that's a case where I, I really thought that what I was hearing was reflective of the situation. Um, there are times when, when it's obvious when guys are, are just trying to control the message or, or not give too much away, but, but you can tell, yeah, he, he's saying this, but it's, it's, I don't really think he's interested in the program. That was a case where I was, I was surprised. So that's, that's really the trick in the battle is, is to not only get the information but be able to interpret it and what it means. All right. Any crazy stories? Uh, yes. But one, one final point. If you recall our feature story, Eric, Eric Ziskin, after he left, and I kind of went back and I really wanted to, to go deep on what that role entails and everything he did. And his main thing was the most important thing is, is – deciphering the information we get and, and knowing what we can trust and what's real. And I, I definitely see where that comes into play. And it's, it's even tougher for the guys on staff because there are all, all these limits on when they can talk to guys, when they can visit them, how much time they get, and not how much time they get, but, but when, when they can do all this stuff. And they are often not getting a full unbiased view either because – those kids don't want to offend the coaches or programs they're talking to, so they're gonna they're gonna tell the coaches what they want to hear in most cases. Um, so it, it, it's 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 a very tough game. I definitely have a lot of respect for the people <coughs> who are in it twenty four seven from the team side and and have to sort through all this. So crazy recruiting story. This is one we've told here before, but it, it's it, to me it's it's just the best example, the best answer to this question was Drake Jackson's recruitment and. And how it truly went down to the last minute, and that's not an exaggeration. The, the, the day, and if you've heard the story already, feel free to 
to uh, mute the podcast for a minute, but no, don't do that. You you don't want to do that. <laughs> Maybe you haven't heard it though. Um, the day this, this this is the early signing period. So he was supposed to announce where he was going on the first day of the early signing period. He had filmed two separate spots with the local Fox Sports West uh, station for both USC and Arizona State, and he had to call them by 10 a.m. that morning. Well, the time came, and he didn't know where he was going, so they just didn't run any of them. Uh, Then, like an hour later, he decided, okay, it's going to be USC. He calls Clay, or he has his dad call Clay Helton and tell him he's going to choose USC. Half hour later, changes his mind again, says, I'm not sure anymore. Tells his dad to call Clay Helton back, and his dad goes, you have to call him yourself this time. So he calls Clay Helton back and says, actually, I don't know yet. I'm still, I'm still thinking. And it goes all the way down to his announcement at the school in that afternoon, and his, his family is all gathered there. No one in his family knows what he's going to choose. And he even tells his dad to take off uh, a USC shirt because at that point he's still not sure what he's going to say and he doesn't want his dad wearing a USC shirt if he, <laughs> if he announces Arizona State so they're, they're on, uh, on on the stage or, or uh, dais or platform whatever to make the announcement his family's standing behind him and he says I'm going to be signing with USC and his dad was literally shocked and thought he said the wrong thing because he had gotten the vibe that he was going to go to Arizona State at that point. So his, his, if, you, if you watch the video, his dad leans forward and looks and, to make sure he's wearing a USC shirt as he zips down his uh, jacket or whatever. Yeah. So that's as crazy as it gets to me where a guy truly is going back and forth until the minute he announces and his family is on stage and doesn't even know. Although I guess there's one other story I can relate on, on these lines. This is at Florida. I wasn't covering it, but it was a very public announcement. Jacob Copeland was uh, one of the top athletes in the 2018 class from the, the Florida Panhandle. And uh, he um, he had a signing ceremony and announced Florida. And his mother got up and walked off stage because she wanted him to sign with Alabama. And this, this went viral. It was all over ESPN, all over Twitter, obviously. So look that clip up if you haven't seen it. But literally left the stage and she was disappointed in his announcement. I'd never seen that before. So those are the two craziest stories that come to mind. Did you hear the one about the USC recruiting blogger who paid like $1,000 to produce a commitment video for a prospect only to see that prospect decommit from USC and then sign with another school? Nope, not aware of that one. <laughs> not aware of that one. Oh. I'll tell you about it. We'll, we'll talk about it off there. <laughs> True story, by the way. Great questions, everybody. We appreciate it. Uh, as always, thank you for listening and also requesting more podcasts and, and clamoring for it. We enjoy doing them. Uh, it's often just a logistical situation where I was on the road for most of May and Adam was here and was successfully able to wrangle up two great podcasts with Clancy and Pittman. But uh, we will definitely try and bring you more in the near future and, and go, going back to my travels we've uh, mentioned many times our USC Next Up series we've we, we kind of did a, a soft release on on four of them in the spring uh, but we do have most of the rest of the class to get to and I flew up to Seattle to visit with Trey Davis the incoming DB from up there I flew to Houston to visit with Dorian Hewitt the safety 
Uh, flew to Murfreesboro, Tennessee to visit with Adonis OT. We're getting around to a lot of the California kids right now. I was uh, on Thursday, I visited with Drake London and Linear McLean, two receivers coming in. So we have a lot of good stories coming for you. Uh, probably start that in about a week or so and take us through the rest of June and, and through July when there's not much else going on. We will have a lot of original, exclusive content. Uh, going deep on all these guys' stories, and there's some really interesting stuff uh, that most people don't know about them that I was able to get in these interviews. So that should be a fun read and a fun series to follow along with. Adam, anything else? Hang up. Yeah. So if if you're not a uh, a subscriber of Trojansports.com uh, now and any time is always a good time to join and get full premium access privileges and follow along with our next up series because that will be behind the paywall that'll be for our subscribers only um as is our daily recruiting rumblings columns and uh adam always be on top of every breaking news story so many reasons to want to be a part of this uh we've had a lot of people join up recently we appreciate that and and hope uh those of you listening if you aren't subscribers that take the opportunity to see it for yourself with that thank you very much and we'll see you next time be good